0: Please remain standing for the reading of today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses one through 12. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you are angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There was no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet. O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our ancestors praised you has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. After all this, will you restrain yourself, O Lord? Will you keep silent and punish us so severely? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well,
1: thank you, Doctor. Thank you Dr. Driver for reading our lesson uh, this morning. We're grateful to the choir for a magnificent anthem, for beautiful, beautiful music uh, that reminds us of all that's in store during this season of Advent, which means from the Latin arrival or entrance, and we're so excited about this evening, four and 6.30 as you've heard, uh, that will be happening in the narthex, which is a tradition for us. Uh, we invite you to come early and bring a friend. Uh, we're expecting a, a great crowd for tonight with our youth Advent concerts. And two weeks from tonight, um, Ryan and Greg and Patsy, a chancel choir, and others will be presenting our special Christmas music from from the chancel choir as well. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan, that the Devon, the baby is due on the 19th, 21st. I was way off, sorry, December 21st, which constitutes a prayer concern for our choir director. Uh, uh, we, we hope that he will be here. We know if there's a conflict where he should be, but we hope he'll be here and, and with all of us as well. Speaking of that, if for just a moment of privilege, uh, Christmas came early. For our family, yesterday at 1.20 PM, Benjamin Davis Chapel was born. Uh, He is a PK, preacher's kid in Noonan, Georgia. He's a GPK, actually, a grand preacher's kid. Uh, Seven pounds, eight ounces, we feel big enough to keep. Uh, He's 20 and a half inches, his parents are well, his mother is doing very well, his father's a little nervous. And so, he is not preaching today, by the way, which is a good thing. And uh, we're grateful to share that news with you. We're in the midst of a baby boom at Brentwood. I think it was two weeks ago, we had about six couples in the conference room uh, who were planning for the baptism of their children. And so, we're, we're very, very grateful. The only thing I think that comes close Uh, to seeing your kids have children is to watch your children become parents. That is a beautiful act of God and some payback as well along the way. (laughs) So we celebrate that with you. Worth the Wait is our series for Advent. Uh, It's the one time this year, we don't usually go with the lectionary, the the three-year scriptures that go along with our seasons, but we're we're tracing with the lectionary. We're aligning with the lectionary is specifically through the prophets as we anticipate the prophetic testimonies of the one who is to come. Worth the wait is our theme. Has anybody ever heard the name Bill Monroe? Have you heard the name Bill Monroe? Some of you have heard that name. He is considered the father of bluegrass music born in 1911, died, I believe, in 1996. Story has it that as a child, Bill would hide in the woods next to the railroad tracks near his birthplace in Rosine, Kentucky. As he was hiding in the woods, he would watch World War I veterans returning home from battle as they walked along the rails. These weary soldiers would sometimes, he said, let out long hollers, loud, high-pitched, bone-chilling shouts of pain and freedom that cut through the air like the blare of a siren. He said it was not a spirited yippee or a painful wail. It was something in between. It was a cry thick, thick with both misery and redemption, And during monroe's legendary career he often told people that he practiced that holler and always realized that that's where his singing style came from now there's a name for this kind of music the bluegrass musicians call it high lonesome so when you hear that high-pitched holler if you listen to ralph stanley or if you listen to Bill Monroe or Earl Scruggs, and you hear that high-pitched holler over the thumping mandolins and the banjos, you may still feel the heaviness of those soldiers. And you may just faintly make out the sound of a distant train chugging down the tracks. The magic of the high lonesome sound, I think, is its capacity to capture our pain and deliver us from it at the same time. In fact, you would know the musical offspring of the high sound, Vince Gill, Alison Krauss, Ricky Skaggs, all of them offspring of Bill Monroe. The text from Isaiah, I think, is the Hebrew version of high lonesome. It's a communal lament, born in a time of great need. It's one of the oldest forms, by the way, of communication. It is perhaps the oldest form of poetry. And so it's no accident that in your Bible, in the Hebrew hymn book, right in the middle of your Scripture, one-third of the Psalms are made up of these sad songs, lamentations, In fact, I think that the inclusion of this genre in the Holy Scriptures affirms our need to give expression to our grief and to our pain. Our acolyte lit the candle of hope this morning. There's something about Advent, isn't there, that evokes, you can feel it, a sense of hope. You can feel it. That elicits a sense of anticipation and expectation. Something big is about to happen But if I'm honest with you, it also triggers a bit of nostalgia. Advent always, for me, brings with it a sense of melancholy as well, because we've walked this season before, and there are still hopes yet to be fulfilled. And so let's just say it. In this season of light, with its hues of red and green, there's also some shades of blue. I don't know how it is with you, but now and then I get a hankering for the blues, yes? I, I, I need to hear B.B. King. I need to hear him sing The Thrill Is Gone. And I don't know why, but it makes me feel better feeling bad. <laughs> he has another song, maybe you've heard of it, I doubt it, and this is literally the title. Nobody Loves Me But My Mother and She Could Be Jiving Me Too. <laughs> that one does not make me feel good. How about Eric Clapton who wrote a song for his young son who died prematurely, tears in heaven? Or Bob Dylan who wrote a song that I think is an absolute classic called Tangled Up in Blue. Now, I don't enjoy listening to his voice. He cannot sing a lick, but here's the thing. When you're blue, it doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be real. It has to be authentic. And Bob Dylan is is authentic. Isaiah 63 and 64 is real. In fact, it's raw. When you hear it read, I, I could feel it in the room. When Lynn was reading the text, some of you are thinking, what on earth are we doing reading this text? This close to Christmas. But you can hear the high lonesome in Isaiah's song. This prophet, whose very name means Yahweh saves, knows as do you what it's like to be tangled up in blue. Now, I think it's important in any text to note the context, to note the backdrop of the passage. And so let me just share with you. In 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah was ransacked. Nebuchadnezzar and his armies swept through Jerusalem. They wiped out the city, they destroyed the temple, and they deported the leading citizens into an unpromised land. Years before, God had led them to a promised land. Now they're leaving and moving on in exile to an unpromised land. 586. For a season, they held out hope that surely God would quickly intervene. Surely God will come to our aid and bring us back home. And he did, but it was a half century later, 50 years later when it occurred. And so somewhere around the middle portion of that exile, 550, maybe 560, with the holy city in ruins and their church destroyed, they found themselves tangled up in blue Now, I don't know about you. Maybe this is just me. But but sometimes in the pain of the present, it evokes a sense of nostalgia in me for the past. That probably never happens to you, but it does to me. In fact, you can see this in Isaiah, just a chapter before what Lynn read. Listen to this. Then we remembered the days of old, the days of Moses, God's servant, Where is the one who brought us out of Egypt? Where is the one who put within us his spirit, who caused his glorious arm to march at the right hand of Moses? Where is the one who divided the waters of the sea to make for himself an everlasting name, who led us through the depths? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. So that the mountains would quake at your presence. I've been praying that prayer since October 7th for our friends in the Middle East. What what is Isaiah doing in this text? He's channeling the Exodus, he's longing for the good old days. Chris Christofferson, you know the name, wrote a song called Me and Bobby McGee. You remember this song? There's a classic line from this song where he says and writes, and I quote, I'd trade all my tomorrows for one single yesterday. Been there? The good old days. Brooks Atkinson, an American theater critic, once put it like this. In every age, the good old days are a myth No one ever thought they were all that good at the time. Every age has consisted of crises that seemed intolerable to the people who lived through them. Nostalgia. I mean, I've heard it even the last several months. If if we could just go back to pre-COVID, we've said that. If we could just go back to to pre-9-11, everything would be fine. If we could just go back to pre iPhone might be a good idea, pre-Vietnam, pre-Alabama beating Georgia, there are numerous, (laughs) if only, nostalgia. But I've discovered that the past is never quite as good as we remember, and the present is never quite as bad as we imagine. Today is all you have And I've discovered in my own journey that the past is a great place to visit, but it ain't no place to live. I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you left them behind. But this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Isaiah's song, High Lonesome, conveys the feeling for just a season that maybe God has withdrawn from God's people. In fact, twice in the text, he articulates this feeling. Oh God, you have hidden your face from us. In fact, in the second passage, it's almost like he's blaming God for their plight. Lord, because you have hidden yourself, that's why we have transgressed. That's why we've sinned. What's going on? high lonesome he's feeling divine absence he's feeling abandoned by god and if you're interested in knowing this our spiritual family founder john wesley knew the feeling he referred to it as the wilderness moment saint john of the cross called it the dark night of the soul you've had it we've all mother Teresa described it as A time of dryness, of darkness, of loneliness. In fact, Jesus even experienced a moment of abandonment on Good Friday when he said, My God, my God, why me? Philip Yancey shared this feeling in a book called Reaching for the Invisible God. This is what he writes. Listen to this. I experienced the sense of abandonment just as I was making progress spiritually. Advancing beyond childish faith to the point where I felt like I could actually help others, and suddenly there was a darkness that descended upon me. For an entire year, my prayers seemed to go nowhere. I had no confidence that God was listening, no one had prepared me for the ministry of absence, and I am often baffled by God's style. He moves at such a slow pace. He prefers rebels and prodigals, restrains his power, and speaks in whispers and silence. Yet, even in these qualities, I see evidence of his long suffering, mercy, and desire to woo us rather than coerce. The advent of hope doesn't just come in red and green, it comes in blue. Hope springs eternal, even within high lonesome. And you see it in chapter 64, verse 8, where suddenly this sad song, this lament, takes a very hopeful turn. In fact, you see it in one word, the three-letter word, my favorite word, yet. We have all become as one unclean. All our deeds are like dirty laundry. We fade like leaves in October, and yet, Yet, you, O Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. What is he doing? Isaiah is reminding God that God is God. As if he didn't know. You ever pray like that? Lord, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but allow me to remind you that you're still on the throne. Uh, I'm not trying to be funny here, but let me just remind you, you're still in charge. You're our maker. Creation was not our idea, it was yours. You scooped us up out of a handful of Tennessee clay and breathed into us. You made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. We didn't choose you, you chose us. By reminding God of who God is, the prophet is really reminding his people who they are and who he is. He is the potter and we're the clay. Sometimes we get the idea that we're the potter and that God is the clay. It isn't so. But what amazes me in this text is there is a prediction here that the potter will become the clay. There is coming a day when the Creator is going to become the creature. That's what Advent is moving towards, where God will actually take on flesh to show us in no uncertain terms that God cannot and will not forget his own. In fact, a few chapters before, Isaiah says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Can a mother have no compassion on the child she has birthed? Neither, says the Lord, will I forget, for see, I have engraved you on my hands. Let me give you one example, and I'm finished. I was rereading recently the story of Kyrie and Brielle Jackson, twins born on October the 17th, 1995 in Worcester Massachusetts those of you who know that area know that I just pronounced it correctly it's not Worcester it's Worcester they were preemies they were born 12 weeks three months before their due date and they were placed in separate incubators which was standard practice to reduce the risk of cross infection one of those girls Carrie weighed 2.3 ounces she was strong doing well gaining weight, but her sister, Brielle, was struggling to breathe. She had heart rate problems, she was losing weight, and her oxygen levels were low. Her situation became dire, in fact, critical, and the doctors prepared the family for the worst. And yet, one of the nurses, her name, Gail Kasparian, decided to go against hospital policy to try a procedure that was virtually unknown in the United States. You know what she did? She put those twins in the same bed and as she closed the incubator door, little Brielle snuggled up next to Kyrie and then the miracle occurred. Kyrie wrapped her little arm around her failing sister and within minutes, Within minutes, Brielle's blood oxygen improved. Her heart rate stabilized. Her temperature normalized. And this picture, which has gone around the world, has been dubbed the reassuring hug. The reassuring hug. Those babies are grown up now. And there's still a bond between them. I have a picture of them now skin on skin, redeemed that child. Incarnate love was her salvation. And it's yours. And it's mine. When God seems hidden, when hope is hanging by a thread, when home doesn't feel like home anymore, And you're tangled up in blue. I'm telling you, the potter becomes the clay. And the Word becomes flesh. And skin on skin, God wraps His arms of mercy around us. And our lamenting turns into joy. And that, my friends, is worth the wait. In Jesus' name. Amen.